0: Welcome to the Crime of the Century podcast, where we expose higher education as the scam that it is. I'm Kevin Prendeville, and I believe that because of what we're teaching our students, we're losing an entire generation. And now today, as always, we'll be diving headfirst into controversial subjects, undaunted by political correctness. Now, uh, the Mueller probe uh, came back, and as many people predicted, uh, nothing. I mean, sure, there was the indictments of Paul Manafort and uh, Michael Cohen and some people close to Trump, but it was all for things unrelated to this whole Russia collusion. Turns out Hillary Clinton is just a bad candidate. So bad Donald Trump's the president. And really what this gets into is how, I suppose not easy, but how indoctrination can happen when so many journalists decide that they're activists. And today, that's why we'll going to be exploring not only this probe, but how does it even play into the crime of the century? Now, really, I should stay away from the term indoctrination. I'm not saying that uh, people on either side of the aisle or uh, are stupid, and, and of course, when it comes to the major media outlets, there's only one that's conservative, and the others are more liberal-leaning, and it can seem as though and some conspiracy theorists have alleged this, that you know, it's just they have, for your, your more conservative people, you have, your, have you, your news source so you can feel like you're fighting against um, the people who are, are left-leaning while all of the stuff goes on behind the scenes. And that's, that's not what I'm talking about. And when I mean indoctrination, I don't mean either that the, I suppose, the, the NPC mentality, and that, that was big uh, around the Internet, um, for a while, it's called, it's the NPC mentality and it goes after the, um, the left and how essentially, you know, they watch CNN or MSNBC and then they turn around and they, like a computer, spit back out the same lines. Now, I'm not saying, again, that, 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 that it's all indoctrination. The entire left is stupid, I'm sure. There are some people who think that the that, that that Trump has done something criminal. There are people who think that he's some sort of you know racist megalomaniacal maniac and and, and and he is really a uh, an egotist. Obviously Trump loves Trump, but aside from that, you know, he's never really said anything that's that's racist, nothing that I can recall or done anything of that sort. And For the most part, he's been tough on Russia, at least tougher than the last president for the past eight years was, and I would argue even more so than uh, George Bush. Although Bush didn't have to deal with uh, Putin his entire presidency uh, since about 2001, 2002 is when uh, Putin really solidified himself. Now, regardless... All of this was to cover the fact that Hillary Clinton wasn't supposed to lose the election. If you'll remember in 2015 and 2016, the prevailing thought was that Trump was going to come in and he was going to lose in the primary, um, but he was kind of the Ross Perot figure of that year. He was the uh, Ryan Paul um, figure of the year. He was going to come in, show up, and maybe change the platform a little bit, but then he'd go away. Maybe even, I remember people even predicting that he, Trump being Trump, would lose the primary, split off, make his own political party, and then attempt to win, which would drive votes away from the Republicans and ensure a Democratic victory. But Trump wins the primary. He becomes the Republican nominee, and it's it's like, are you serious? You're running Donald Trump, this WWE star, this, um, you know, this guy from the, from who was popular in the 80s and went against the NFL and did all this stuff. And, like, why are you running him? Why aren't you running Jeb Bush, who you're supposed to be running? And uh, so when Trump does win, which seems to be out of, out of nowhere, because, of course, everyone at the beginning of the election, too, they they're, you can find them all over YouTube. Just type in, you know... Um, 2016 election compilation or something. And it, you'll get all of the news reporters, you know, before, um, at, the, at the beginning of their election specials, we were talking about all the mistakes that Trump made. What, you know, what could he have done better? He could have reached out to these different communities. He could have done this. He should have done that. And as it goes on, it becomes more and more evident that he's going to win. Suddenly it turns into, oh my God, Donald Trump's going to be president. How do we stop this? And somewhere, somewhere along the line, somebody said, well, he could only win if he colluded with the Russians. Why? I don't know. Because there's a Trump Tower in Russia. That's about it. Like, you know. And granted, you have to bribe a lot of officials to get anything done, especially of that size in Russia. It 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 doesn't mean that he stole the election from Hillary Clinton. It could mean that Hillary has never been. Hil- Hillary is more shady than Bill Clinton, and a lot less likable. I mean, she wouldn't go to. Uh, Wisconsin, she wouldn't go to Iowa, she wouldn't go to Michigan, she would basically go to uh, California and uh, the places in the Northwest that she would like and she'd go to the East Coast and the places that she liked there and the bigger population areas but you wouldn't catch her talking to, to the Midwest folk and every time that there is some sort of great social or political movement in the United States, historically it's always come from the Midwest minus, of course, the uh, very early colonial days because there was no Midwest United States at that point. But since about 1840, every great political or social movement that has affected the entirety of the United States, whether it's culture or uh, our political interactions, it's come from the, the Midwest. In the 1840s, and this is why I use that, that day, um, some people put this in, you know, 1838 or so, but I put it in 1840, is the uh, great moralist resurgence or the, great, um, the, the second great awakening, which is essentially this revival of primarily Baptist but also uh, Lutheran and evangelical principles. So the United States, though, started off with Christian principles, as we talked about, especially last week. Uh, which a lot of which derive from Lutheranism and uh, the English, uh, uh, you know, the the English influence, um, which is essentially uh, Protestantism, though, um, of course, uh, it's King Henry VIII's church in, in England. Regardless, a lot of that revival came from, started in the Midwest, with a lot of farming communities, a lot of conversions in the South, and... Obviously, that presence is still there and kind of sets the tone for the Midwest, Midwest ethos, which is, you know, uh, to work uh, incredibly hard, do your job, and to not complain about the situation around you. And so the Midwest really showed its power then, then later, in the 1890s, and this was during, there was a great period of peace between the springtime of nations and World War I in Europe, and since Europe was the great you know, power at the time, the world was rel- relatively stable, comparatively, um, in, in, in between that time, but economies became very advanced. In the, starting about 1870, and moving into uh, you know, uh, uh, the creation of the stock market and the creation of mutual funds in 1919. So as the economy became very advanced, there were a lot of fears that people were being left behind. And so in 1892, 1888, somewhere in there, a man named uh, William Jennings Bryant became uh, very popular in the Midwest. And he was a bit of an elitist or should have been elitist he didn't grow up poor he did he was not um he did not rise through the ranks much like trump he uh he was from some money so you would think he would have been some sort of elitist especially at that time he would have been you know some sort of bureaucrat or um you know a respected member of higher class, late Victorian era, gilded era society. Well, he actually, he was really kind of a a fire starter in the Midwest and he would talk about we need to move to the silver standard to help uh, combat inflation and we need to, you know, give more subsidies to farms, which of course didn't happen for about 100 years, but these ideas were birthed by uh, Jennings Bryant and some of the writers in the Midwest at the time, uh, political writers, who, again, changed the elections and eventually led to someone like Teddy Roosevelt getting elected. Though Brian ran, he never had the appeal on the coasts and couldn't win. He, again, changed the makeup of American domestic and a little bit of foreign policy because he was a uh, also an isolationist. And, of course, we see the effects of that all the way down into World War II and even today, uh, but the, the Libertarian Party is full of, uh, of nut jobs, but they are still very isolationist for the most part. Uh, at least most of them, uh, apparently. Some of them don't know if they're coming or going. But regardless, all of this background is to say that, that whoever wins the Midwest typically can take the country. And that's that's actually what Bill Clinton did in the 1990s. You'll remember he was able to appeal, uh, appeal to the uh, Southern and Midwest voter base by coming across as Democratic, so different than if uh, George Bush Sr., but also uh, kind of down-home, homespun, a, a nice person who really looked out for the individual. That's what he was able to brand himself as. While at the same time, on the East Coast, he was appealing because he was kind of the suave uh, uh, man who could maneuver his way around a conversation. For all of his faults, you have to give Clinton that. He was a good politician. Hillary didn't have any of that. She was shrewd. She was, well, arrogant. Uh, apparent Reports from her in the 90s. Now, granted, I'm sure she knew what Bill was doing in the White House. But in the 90s, while she was there, she was mean to servants and and service people and she was just not a decent person to be around. Now obviously you have the Uranium One scandal, Benghazi, all this stuff that happened under her watch uh, in the later years that makes her seem as though she's out for one thing and that's power. But in 2008 she ran against uh, Barack Obama if you'll remember that she was attempting to win the Democratic uh, nomination and, and become the first female president. Well, uh, the Democrats decided to give, essentially the deal was the Democrats would, uh, they would kind of back off, they would let Obama win and he went on to be president, although I don't think, I don't think any Republican could have won in 2007, 2008 because the idea at the time was, hey, George Bush started this great recession, he's an idiot. We need to get a Democrat in there. So, had she run against McCain, though, it would have been a much closer race. Uh, But all of this goes to build the case that Clinton, Hillary Clinton, is simply a poor candidate. Yet, they need... The Democrats needed to believe that they couldn't possibly lose to Donald Trump because the idea is that he's some blithering idiot, WWE star... um, you know, basically, basically they're running against an Olsen twin. And is he's just some guy, They like you can't possibly lose to him. And so what has to happen? Well, has to be some grand conspiracy that let him win. And again, he's smart enough to build a net worth of $4 billion. So he has connections. He knows what he's doing in a business deal. Um, and if you watch the, the, the Kevin Prenneville show, we've talked about uh, and even uh, civil discourse, I think, more so, it's talked about his ability to walk away from a deal that's not uh, uh, profitable for him or doesn't get what he wants. It's in his book, uh, The Art of the Deal. And so it was, it, it was turned on full blast that the, the media decided that, um, you know, Trump was, you know, in bed with Putin and Trump... Um, you know, w- was an actor of, uh, of Russia. And it's, it's, it's very clear that, that um, you know, the, the, the Russians uh, uh, got to him and he's just an actor and he's going to let the, um, the, the Russians do, you know, whatever. He's going to let them run a rough shot in the Middle East and, and run over the Ukraine and run over Poland. Of course, that was all happening under Obama, but we'll let that slide for now. And all of this was done and in order to get Trump, it wasn't in order to find any sort of truth and that's when it became indoctrination and I'm talking from a grand media perspective here. Now here's how, the, how all this fits into uh, the crime of the century. One of the things that we discuss in the book and, descri- and really have been talking about uh, uh, throughout the entirety of this program has been The fact that with a lack of historical and critical thinking institutions within our educational facilities, within our educational uh, 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 development, we have led to a situation, a, a real crisis of identity. We not only do not know who we are, but we're also very gullible when someone who displays the kind of beliefs that we want to see acted out in the world will follow them and and defend them as being almost infallible. So when you have people on the left who hear from all of these major uh, outlets and and what at least before 2016 seemed to be reputable sources that, uh, you know, Trump colluded with Russia and here's here's the evidence and John uh, Brennan is saying all of this stuff. Um, it made it seem like, you know, they're going to get this guy and it, they we're so close to, to getting Trump and we're going to go after him, we're going to be able to impeach him because he's not a legitimate president. Well, and it all backfires when it's found out that, you know, He was elected by the American people, Hillary Clinton was a bad candidate, and they're rejecting the democratic, their socialist principles, whichever one that they want to uh, put forth, and it's seeming to be more and more socialist. And you have a situation like they have, it was written about, uh, he's long dead now, and I I can't recall his name, but there was a man who, uh, he escaped to the United States, but he was born in the Soviet Union, and spent time in a uh, gulag a, a political prisoner prisoner cell and one of the things he said was that even though these people were in prison essentially sometimes for stealing bread sometimes for uh, thinking the wrong things or saying the wrong thing he said you could ask them a question and it was like you could it was it was like their head wasn't Filled with anything except the gears and crankshaft of somebody else. You could say one thing, and you could predict the answer they would give. And not only that, but if you questioned it, it would it would the mechanism would turn into to anger. That would that would be its its its, its next gear because there's there's nothing else there. There it's their worldview. You can't shatter that because then nothing makes sense anymore. And then this is how they make sense of the world. And this is how everything works. And and if you question that, then then there's some risk there of that person having to come up with a new world view or, or questioning themselves or questioning the world around them. And nobody wants to do that. So it would turn into anger and violence. And that's what you see. That's why you see all of the political violence because people don't want their world view attacked. And now unfortunately with this Russia business it seems as though there's a, a crisis a little bit on on the on the left where and not the ones that are so far gone that they think Trump is literally Hitler and they want a communist United States cuz there's nothing you can do about that. I'm I'm sorry they're gone, they're lost. But for the ones who vote democrat cuz their parents voted democrat, they 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 do believe in uh you know, life, liberty, brotherhood, the the French ideal. It's a little bit of a loss of confidence. And also, it might force them to challenge their worldview. And though I don't think it's ever, it's not going to lead to, to to violence or anything. It's going to lead to a split in the Democratic Party. And we're already seeing some of the fractures. You know, they've got the Starbucks CEO uh, considering to run, but not as a socialist, doesn't want to be associated with that. You've got... Uh, you know, you've got people like Kristen Gillibrand, who's different than Bernie Sanders, and you've got Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, which are kind of in the same boat, but not really, and they're not Bernie Sanders quite, but they are, but they're too scared to say it. And what this really is, is it's not a it's not a dissolving, of the, I'm not being sensationalist here. it's not a dissolving of the Democratic Party, but it's the result of what, We teach our students, which is basically, this is how it happens. This is the world view we want you to adopt. It's a Marxist, uh, uh, you know, everything is terrible. The U.S. is bad. The West is terrible worldview. And when something as simple as a as an investigation into nothing happens, this is this is the result. It's just a waste of time and you know we've had uh, countless uh, people lose credibility in the media and you've had um you know attacks on people like Tucker Carlson and you know all of the stuff that crops up and it's not out of nowhere it's a result of indoctrination and, and and the world's not conforming to ideology and really what we see is that it's that ideology which has its roots in Marxist theory, that is a major part of the crime in the century. You ever hear people talk about debt and they talk about it like it's uh, leftovers or something terrible? Well, I'll tell you what, my biggest mistake when going to networking meetings and bringing this up is that I forget that we all have the same presupposition when it comes to debt. But I've learned to actually break it up into three categories, good, bad and ugly debt. And I'm going to show you in my new book, Smoke and Mirrors, which is live on Amazon right now for just $9.99, exactly how the wealthiest break down their debt to actually leverage what they have into something greater. Because I believe that we all have the God-given ability to create and that financial freedom really comes out of personal freedom. So we need the mindset, too, and that's the first thing we go over in Smoke and Mirrors. Then we go over the banks, financial institutions, the government, and the notorious debt topic to explore new ways to create eventual wealth or create indestructible wealth. Pick up your copy on Amazon.com right now or go to KevinPrendeville.com.